So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Now, you all probably don't know this, but over here in Toronto, I'm a member of a pretty elite group. You might even call it a secret society. You see, for the vast majority of Torontonians, it's impossible to get a signal when you're in the subway. But not for me. And I was running late to work the other day, so I decided to use that superpower to let my coworkers know. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Archie, where are you? I'm downstairs in Dufferin Station right now, just waiting for my train. You're downstairs in Dufferin Station? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I exactly what I said. I'm giving you a call. Oh, well, you're late. <laughs> I'm late? Yeah, we're all waiting for you. Okay, okay, I'm on my way. But, I mean, aren't you interested in how I'm able to call you on my cell phone from down here in the subway? Does that not interest you? It does interest me a little bit. I'm a little bit upset about it, actually, because I know you've got this TTC cell phone privilege that nobody else has. That's right, because I'm a subscriber to Freedom Mobile, which means I'm one of the small number of people who can actually use their cell phone in the subway in Toronto. You know that there is the infrastructure for basically everybody to use their cell phones at every subway station in Toronto, right? No, I didn't know that. What do you mean? So the Toronto Transit Commission actually paid a company to build all of that capacity years ago. It's available there for everybody to use, but so far only Freedom Mobile has done it. Basically, these companies are pissed off because they didn't get a contract from the Toronto Transit Commission to build their own networks on the TTC. Instead, it went to a third party. And so in a fit of peak, they're making sure that none of their customers can actually have coverage down here. Instead, the only company that's doing that is Freedom, which has a really small market share. It's pretty ridiculous if you ask me. Well, I think I've heard enough of you bragging about your cell phone service. How about you get on a train and get to work because we're waiting for you. All right, all right, I'm on my way. See you in a few minutes. Here's what I find so interesting about this. Rogers, Bell, and Tellus all decided that it was in their interest to not allow service on the TTC. But why wouldn't one of them sign up so they could differentiate themselves from their competitors? To, you know, compete. Some would say that the big three, well, they're acting like an unofficial cartel. 
Together, these three companies control 90% of the wireless market in Canada. And now Rogers is planning to merge with Shaw to become an even bigger player. But that merger has proved to be incredibly contentious. And central to that whole proposed merger is the question over what to do with Freedom Mobile, the wireless provider owned by Shaw. The same one that has actually done things differently, including by allowing transit riders in Toronto to get service. But I want to focus in on that company in the middle of all of this, Freedom Mobile, which used to be called Win Mobile. As you heard in our last episode, since the 1990s, the Canadian government has pursued a policy of trying to encourage competition in telecommunications. And by far the biggest example of that is Wind Mobile, which was born in 2008. Though it was a small company, Wind had an enormous impact that's still being felt today. But it didn't have an easy ride. It faced numerous hurdles from regulators. It was the subject of so many dirty tricks from the telecom oligopoly. And eventually, it was sold to Shaw. So today, we're bringing you the inside story of Wind Mobile from the people who were there. Simon Lockie was a slightly disgruntled competition lawyer at a white shoe law firm when he met Tony Lacavera, the head of Global Live, a telecommunications investment firm. And he sort of swept into this Starbucks in a floor-length leather jacket and he cut a pretty impressive figure. This was back in 2004. Simon had been speaking to a few other law firms at the time. And he said, no, you don't want to work with any of those places. He said, you got to come work with me. We're going to become, you know, billion-dollar-plus company. Tony's pretty compelling, and, and I agreed to give it a shot. Simon was told to go to the office to meet a guy named Bryce Sheschuk. I showed up at the office, and I said, I'm here to meet Bryce. And they took me to his office, and he finished a phone call, and he said, who the fuck are you? What are you doing here? That's a bit harsh. <laughs> I don't think I used the F word. I'm pretty sure you did, actually. <laughs> I certainly <laughs> took it that way. That, by the way, is Bryce. Simon left pretty annoyed by the whole ordeal, and he was sure that that was that. And I thought, okay, well, you know, no harm, no foul. I didn't, you know, cause me a big chunk of my life. I'm not going to work with these guys. And Tony called me shortly after. He must have talked to Bryce. He said, no, 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 sorry, complete misunderstanding. And so Bryce and I had lunch that day on Adelaide at that Starfish, uh, Starfish restaurant. And, uh, you know, we've been probably two of our closest friends since. Globalive, the company they were now both a part of, was founded in 1998 by Tony LaCavra amidst the wave of deregulation in telecoms. After nearly going bankrupt during the dot-com bust, Globalive became one of the fastest-growing companies in the country. By the time Bryce and Simon joined, Globalive was involved in a number of telecom businesses. There was Yak, a dial-around long-distance company, and Canada Payphone Company, which is exactly what it sounds like. And while they had some run-ins with Bell, Rogers, and TELUS, they weren't taking on their core businesses. It gave us a little taste of regulatory issues and some minor ways of kind of battling in the regulatory sphere and gave us maybe a bit of scale and confidence in terms of what might happen next. In 2008, everything would change. Stephen Harper's conservative government set its sights on Canada's telephone oligopoly. I think uh, generally myself and Prime Minister Harper saw it as good policy as well as good politics. There was such a massive concentration of the telcos 
that we were paying well above average compared to the rest of the world. My name is uh, Tony Clement. For a time, I was a member of parliament from 2006 to 2019 for Perry Sound Muskoka. And in the Harper government, I served as Minister of Health, then Minister of Industry, then President of the Treasury Board. At the time of this story, he was the Minister of Industry, the man responsible for the Conservative government's telecom policy. In 2008, new wireless spectrum was coming up for auction. Now, just a quick explainer. Spectrum basically refers to different electromagnetic frequencies used for wireless communication. And governments around the world reserve big chunks of this spectrum for different kinds of communication so that the different signals don't interfere with one another. So if you want to start a wireless company, you need to have access to Spectrum. And in Canada, Spectrum is treated as a national resource and it's auctioned off by the government to the highest bidder. The Harper government saw the upcoming auction as an opportunity. That's when we pursued the idea that that spectrum for, you know, general telco, smartphone usage, whatever, could be set aside for new entrants rather than be bid as per usual by incumbent telcos. The Conservatives wanted to bring down wireless prices, and they believed that more competition was the answer. Oligopolies when given the opportunity, will act as oligopolies. It's kind of hard not to. So uh, you can't just rely on them and their good favor to provide the best pricing models or what have you. So that's when the idea, when these new spectrum opportunities suddenly existed because of technology and moving around things within the frequencies that uh, the opportunity presented itself to I guess it was an experiment in a, in a lot of ways. Let's see what happens if we set aside some spectrum for new entrants and uh, let's, let's see if that fosters competition and lower prices. The Harper government wanted a fourth wireless carrier and the folks at Globalive wanted to be that carrier. The iPhone had just come out. We were relatively well into the BlackBerry revolution. It was very clear about smartphone adoption at that point. There was no questions around it. And this was the future. Mobility was going to be one of the future key pillars of innovation. Okay, and where were we as a country? Lowest penetration in the developed world, highest bills of any country of any size, highest profit margins, whatever. You pick your metric. We were always in the incumbent favor on that metric. But first, they had to figure out whether they could even raise the money. And it was a lot. I just remember a moment where things had been ramping up and, you know, tension in the air, something's going to break. And we meet yeah. in the office and he says, we got to raise a billion dollars. Okay. And so to give you <laughs> that's, some, that's a lot of money, yeah, to give you some background on yeah. that, we were doing 120 million in revenue in 2007, very profitable, over 20 million in profit, but we're talking billion plus dollars. These were, this was a, a step function much higher order than of magnitude, order of magnitude. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to go raise a billion dollars, I wouldn't know where to start. Back then, we were scrambling continuously, networking to anyone, trying to target whoever we could, trying to go down roads as far as we could with, you know, with the limited stuff that we had in front of us and, and working, working, working. Ten days before the deposit deadline, we had run a lead that we thought was real to ground and it hadn't come together. We got introduced to an Egyptian billionaire by the name of Naguib Souris. 
Sawiris's companies operated all across the world in sectors like construction, hospitality, and in telecommunications. It turned out that Sawiris's head of new market strategies was from Peterborough, Ontario, and the team from Globalive was able to convince Sawiris to provide the capital they needed to get a new mobile carrier off the ground. By the end of 2008, they'd spent $442 million to buy Spectrum across most of Canada minus Quebec. Wind Mobile was about to be born. But right off the bat, the problems began for Wind Mobile. First came the regulators. We always knew it would be difficult in the market, but we were ready to compete. The gamesmanship and sort of messing around with regulations and, and bad faith is what we weren't prepared for. So when you, at that time, acquired Spectrum, you needed to have Industry Canada review your ownership and control to make sure that you weren't controlled by a non-Canadian. They knew that since their biggest investor was Egyptian, this could be an issue. And we were aware of those restrictions. Our investor was aware of those restrictions. We carefully structured in compliance with those restrictions. Industry Canada conducted a review, made a few tweaks, and approved them. But that wasn't the end of it. Two of their competitors, TELUS and another startup called Public Mobile, asked the CRTC, the telecom regulator, to review their ownership. Which we thought was quite strange for a couple of reasons. One is that the test that we had just passed is literally the exact same test as under the Telecom Act. To the, to the letter. So it was just puzzling to suggest that we could comply with test, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4 on this analysis, and 2 plus 2 is also going to equal 4 over here. And the other thing that TELUS asked for at that time was that the review be conducted in a public hearing. And that's something that had literally never happened before in the history of the Act. The CRTC held those hearings in September 2009. The folks at WIND then waited another month for the final verdict. And we were told that we were going to get the decision on a certain time and day. We actually went to a, a lawyer, our lawyer's office, our regulatory lawyer's office, and sat around a boardroom, a whole bunch of us. Call, get the news that this is not approved. Okay. The first half hour reaction is what you would expect. Okay, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of swearing, a lot of like, you know, the usual. What was extraordinarily frustrating was that they didn't say why or in what way or how we could fix it. They said, when we just look at how much debt you have from a foreign investor, even though that debt has no teeth in it in terms of, you know, how you operate, we just think it's too much. We, we don't know what not too much is, is but is, we just think it's too much. We actually had the realization now that the gloves were off and we could not fight in that polite Canadian way where everyone was respecting the rules and so on. The federal government's own telecom regulator had just completely undermined the key pillar of Harper's telecom agenda. And this is where Tony Clement comes in. Don't forget the incumbents have very well-paid lawyers who specialize in their submissions to the CRTC. So, you know, you're up against that institutional, I wouldn't say bias, but advantage, I guess is the word. Cabinet, thankfully, led by Tony Clement, who was the minister at that time, took the initiative to overrule the CRTC. They conducted their own review, suggested a couple of small changes, which we were very happy to make, and said, you can launch. 
And I think we may have launched the next day. Let's light up Win Mobile. Let's turn the network on. When Win Mobile launched, it was an event. Wind was offering far cheaper mobile plans than the big three, and people throughout the handful of Canadian cities where it was operating literally lined up around the block to sign up. This is the new Wind Mobile in KW. This is their lineup. It is surprisingly long. I'd say there are about 200 people here. And right off the bat, the big telecoms went to war. Now, it is expensive to launch a wireless network. You need lots of antennas and cell towers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Actually building out a network and operating as a competitive force takes a lot of cap and a lot of time and a lot of money. And so while Wind got busy trying to get that infrastructure off the ground, the government forced the incumbent telcos to allow Wind customers to roam on their networks. As you build out your network, you have to start with a single antenna. And it takes a while before you sort of reach that critical mass of having a network. And until then, we were entitled to roam. Now, in our case, given the spectrum we acquired, we literally had only one party who was technologically compatible with us, and that was Rogers. So we had a party who would rather chew off their own arm than give us a roaming deal. And they're the only game in town. Ultimately, we were takers of what Rogers put on the table. And what they put on the table was some real sort of Dr. Evil fuckery, if I'm being honest. Rogers said, sure, of course, we're going to follow the government's directive and allow wind customers onto our network when you lose a signal from wind. But we get to decide how much to charge for that data. Our wholesale rate that we would have to pay to Rogers was $1,000 per gigabyte, which, I mean, it sounds absurd because it is. Wind had few options. They could take the issue up at the CRTC or take it to arbitration, but that would be years away, and they needed to launch now. So we had to accept the terms as they were, and what that meant, in effect, is that they also dictated to us what our commercial proposition had to be, because we couldn't allow Canadians, our customers, to roam on Rogers' network and consume data. We couldn't afford it. It would cost, what, $150,000 to watch a movie. I'm serious. We could only roam on what's called a 2G or second generation network, which works for voice and, and, and text, but not for data. So right out of the gate, they've just tied our legs together and now we're hopping. Eventually, years later, the CRTC did rule in Wynn's favor, but the damage had already been done. And even when it came to voice calls, Rogers did everything they could to undermine Wind. Because their network wasn't built out yet, sometimes wind customers would lose their signal when they moved into a building. But the government had made it clear that the signal should be then transferred to a competitor. The technological capability to do that seamlessly, meaning you're on a phone call, you just keep talking, but now you're on a different network, was absolutely available. But Rogers refused to provide it. So literally every time you were using your phone and you switched networks, it would drop. And it didn't have to, but what? But it did, and they wouldn't fix it. And it put us at an even more significant competitive disadvantage. So you get a sense now for, call it the competitive headwinds that we uh, faced out of the gate. And Rogers would then use the issue of dropped calls, which they essentially created, as part of their marketing. Take Chatter, a new mobile brand that was launched not long after Wind. Chatter is simply a brand of Rogers. 
And you have to dig pretty deep before you figure that out on either of their websites. So they all have what they call flanker brands and I call fighter brands. And they are, you know, they're, they're assassins. They're sent in to target specifically the kind of customers that a new entrant would be seeking to, to, to go after. Chatter had an ad campaign that didn't reference us by name, but said fewer dropped calls. First of all, we didn't believe that that was true based on our records. So we just considered it flat out misleading advertising. The Bureau agreed with us and actually took Rogers to court and ultimately lost at the tribunal, even with a very strong case. So we're facing this commercial proposition that's been dictated to us by a $1,000 gigabyte roaming deal. And now we're facing the fact that our calls drop when it's within Rogers' control to make them do so. And despite all of this, I think it's important to bear in mind that we actually were growing. Wind was indeed growing. In fact, it was quite popular in the areas it was able to serve. A big reason for that is because they introduced innovative and consumer-friendly services. Something that I think people just generally take for granted these days is unlimited data. We introduced that. If you went over your allotted data with one of the big three incumbents, they would charge you a ridiculous amount of money for every megabyte. But Wind said, we won't charge you. We'll slow down your internet, but there will be no unexpected fees. Not only was that option enticing to a lot of Canadians, but it forced the big three to adapt. That is not something that the incumbents introduced because they would have no incentive to do it, knowing that all they'd do is they would require the other two to offer it as well, and now we all have to offer it. But we had to differentiate competitively, so we introduced both those concepts, and people continue to benefit, not just lower prices, not just innovative offerings, but also these are durable, lasting changes in the market, and, and, and we're proud of what we've done. But I think it highlights a very important point, which is when there's real competition in the market, every subscriber in Canada benefited from an active, effective fourth carrier in those markets. It's a similar story when it comes to international roaming in the United States. So we just got a reasonable roaming deal from AT&T. And the moment we did, we made the decision, and it was, you know, candidly, it was not unanimous in, in the sense that our capital was keen to have us you know, keep a lot of that money, but we needed to competitively differentiate. So we created unlimited U.S. roaming, and the incumbents had no choice but to react to that. And so when you think about Roam Like Home and those kinds of plans, they're getting worse, again, in the absence of competitive, you know, true competition. But back then, it was completely novel, and Wind introduced that. We introduced that. And all of this raises an obvious question. Why weren't any of the big three telcos pursuing these initiatives before? In every public statement, in every regulatory submission, Bell, Rogers, and TELUS claim that they are engaged in fierce competition for customers every day. Bryce thinks he knows the reason. And he thinks it's best encapsulated by a quote from a senior executive from one of those companies. The best way that I can articulate the incumbent reaction to this is by reading two paragraphs from a gentleman named Phil Lynn's autobiography, who was Ted Rogers' right-hand man for most of his run. I call it the craziest two paragraphs in Canadian telecom history, personally. And to give you a bit of context, in 2013, it became common knowledge that Verizon, the giant American telecom, was considering expanding into Canada, which clearly rattled the established telecom companies here. 
and I quote, We moved to DEFCON 2. In the summer of 2013, the CEOs at Rogers, Bell, and TELUS appointed internal teams to coordinate a publicity campaign called Fair for Canada, through which we'd inform as many Canadians as possible about the danger of Harper's policy. Each of the three companies had people reporting to us, and we'd meet weekly, either in person or via conference call, to discuss tactics and overall strategy. We worked extremely well as a team. He just publicly wrote those in his autobiography. It just candidly admits something that I don't think they would have admitted at the time, which is that they were coordinating as a team and marshalling all these resources to ensure that a vigorous competitor didn't enter their market. So to recap, why does Bryce think that none of the other companies introduced options like unlimited data or unlimited U.S. roaming without wind mobile? It's the same reason why most people in Toronto don't get service on the subway. Because they're comfortable acting like an unofficial cartel. That it's not in their economic interest to truly compete. Eventually, all the pressure from regulators and the telecom oligopoly was too much for Wynn's main investor, Naguib Suarez. Here he is speaking to the CBC in 2011. It was a bad idea, I must say. I mean, it was not a good idea, you know. We work in very difficult uh, places in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Algeria, you know. So we are used to very rough markets. So we thought that when we come here, it's a very well-regulated market, you know, and everything would be, the laws are clear, it would be respected. And, uh, and when someone as crazy as we are decides to come in and challenge that based on promises made by the government that auctioned these frequencies, and then has to discover after two years or three years that none of the promises made are being respected. The politicians against the consumers, you know, which we are trying to help, and not because we are good guys, because we want to make money. We want to come here and earn with hard work, but we are encountering nightmares. There's no real political will here to introduce competition into this closed market, you know. So do you regret the, the investment? Yes. Not long after Suarez sold his stake in Wind Mobile, Shaw Communications came knocking. We built this business. We put our blood, sweat, and tears into this business. I think people were a bit surprised because it was a lucrative exit financially for the company. But we immediately and publicly said this was a failure for us. Uh, we didn't want to sell. And our equity capital saw an opportunity to make a fantastic return in a very short period. And that's just, just too attractive an opportunity to pass up for them. And, and so we got dragged kicking and screaming into that sale. Even though they ultimately see it as a failure, Bryce and Simon think that Wynn did make things better for Canadian consumers. We're 15 years now from the start of Wind, And I have talked about this story for since we've sold hundreds of times. It is resounding that people understand the impact that we had in the market, that it was something different, that it changed the commercial nature of the market, and it was special in a pirate ship kind of anti-oligopoly way. I do think the public understands, even if they weren't using wind, or even if they had that tough network experience in the early days of wind, they understand what it meant. I remember talking to some early Wynn subscribers, and they would talk about some of the network challenges that in a way built a sense of camaraderie. They saw themselves as part of the journey and part of the team and supporting 
you know, a, a pro-competition initiative. So is there something about Canada that makes it especially hospitable to the kinds of monopolies that wind had to contend with? We had a sister company in Italy called Wind Italy. And in fact, we worked closely with them. Sometimes one of their execs would come over and operate as a COO or something at Wind. One particular memorable one who I became very good friends with, at one point we were having a conversation, we were talking about competition, we were talking about all the oligopolies in the country, and he said, you know, you're such a comfortable country. You have these resources that you pull out of the ground, that you, you know, you, you create this very large relative GDP per capita to the rest of the world, and you guys are comfortable. Maybe you just don't want to change. When Rogers and Shaw announced that they intended to merge, the folks at Globalive once again saw an opportunity to finish up what they had started. So we almost immediately uh, reached out through various channels um, to Rogers to say, you know, hey, we, we congratulations on your announcement. Uh, we would like to speak about, you know, being a remedy partner and, and, you know, reacquiring this business that we didn't want to sell in the first place. And uh, we'd love to, you know, have a productive, you know, two-way discussion to figure out, you know, what might be possible in that regard. But Rogers said that they fully expected to be able to hold on to Freedom Mobile. Thanks for your interest, but, but you know, there, there won't be any sale. Eventually, they realized that, of course, there's a process to figure out a seller. So they made an offer. We expressed an interest in the Freedom business and, and any additional assets such as Shaw Mobile. They submitted a bid of $3.75 billion. Instead, Rogers went with Videotron, which only bid $2.85 billion. That's almost a billion-dollar difference. And while he can't know for sure, Simon thinks that the reason they were rejected is simple. An independent Freedom Mobile would be too feisty of a competitor. Rogers can easily make up that billion-dollar difference and more if they're not exposed to that kind of competition. And so I'm not at all surprised that they would seek out literally the most anemic potential competitor going forward that they can get away with, because that's their job. But the government's job is to make sure that they don't get away with that. And so what is the government doing about all of this? That's next time on Commons. That's your episode of Commons. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. This episode relied on work done by Lex Harvey at the Toronto Star, Amanda Lang at the Lang and O'Leary Exchange, and many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, Arshi, at CanadaLand.com. 
This episode was produced by me and Jordan Cornish, with additional production by Noor Azria. Our production coordinator is Andre Pruhl, and our music is by Nathan Burley. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. And you'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.